You're listening to the First Baptist Church Broken Arrow podcast. To learn more about the church, visit us at fbcba.org. Today's sermon comes from our pastor, Dr. Matt Brooks. Welcome on to church. If you would, please open your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians this morning, Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, as we continue a series on the first two chapters of this incredible book of Galatians that we're simply calling No Other Gospel. My name is Matt Brooks. I'm the senior pastor here at our church. Just so incredibly excited that you're here on Big Give Sunday. Just want to give the Lord praise for two things. Number one, uh, are we just grateful to the Lord to have Kevin Price back leading worship? Here we go. Praise the Lord. For those of you who are visiting, our worship pastor, Kevin Price, has been in a fight and battle with a form of cancer since early November. And by God's grace, or really specifically the last month, has just had this incredible progress day by day, week by week. And so incredibly grateful for your prayers and the faithfulness of the Lord. And secondly, I want to give praise to God this morning that we're celebrating this incredible moment in the life of our church. You know, God... In his goodness, we've been here for 119 years now, since 1904, he gives us a handful of moments that were really just, you know, that was truly just a season of the Lord. And by God's grace, this is one of those moments that today kicks off a two-year journey that we have gathered together to say, God, we're asking you, you've worked greatly in our past, but we're asking the Lord greater still in ministry, in missions, in future. So today, we're going to celebrate. We're going to have food trucks here all morning. I'm under the understanding that funnel cakes are on the way. They call that manna in the Old Testament, all right? So enjoy yourself. Enjoy this time and in this season. So after the 945 service, we'll have food trucks available, if you so please. After the 11 o'clock service, we'll have food trucks available. It's just going to be an incredible time celebrating the work that God has done, but then also reminding ourselves of the things of the work that we should give ourselves to. What really matters most? Ministry, missions, and future. And before we study the text this morning, I just want to say, what an incredible honor it is to be your pastor. What an incredible honor it is today of all days to signify and to testify for all to see the faithfulness that you have to God, the faithfulness you have to the mission, the faithfulness you have to the gospel, an unwillingness to be distracted by any other thing besides Jesus Christ and his gospel. What an incredible honor it is to have a front row seat and how urgent it is that we once again give our hearts and minds to this book of Galatians because we currently live in a world that denies absolute truth, despises biblical authority, detests the sufficiency of Christ. And can I tell you as we study this book of Galatians, those are the two primary issues here. The authority of Christ. Does Christ say? And Paul will address in these churches in southern Galatia. Secondly, the sufficiency of Christ. Is Christ enough? And so Paul will detail in these 149 verses in Galatians what it means to truly articulate the gospel. What it means in following Christ that you give your life, all of you, to this gospel. It is God's desire not just to save you, to keep you from hell, but rather it is God's desire to transform you through his message to make you more like his son. And that is exactly what Paul is doing here in Galatians chapter 1. He's being severely attacked by these group of false teachers called the Judaizers. These are corrupt, unconverted men who did not accept or even appreciate the gospel of Christ that Paul was preaching. These men were out to annihilate Paul's reputation, silence his teaching, 
stifle his authority. And it's within this framework that Paul begins in verses 10 through 24 to give one of the most powerful testimonies of a transformed life in the entire New Testament. Paul has a brief salutation in Galatians, nine verses. Then he goes immediately into the body of his letter, which will last all the way through Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. And what he is doing here is outlining the authority of Christ, the authority of his words, the authority of his gospel, and thus the sufficiency of Christ, that truly Christ is enough. And you know, even our own world needs to know this. We need to be reminded of this truth. I don't know if you've seen this been working out in stunning clarity in the state of Florida this week. But the state of Florida passed House Bill 15777 this week, which is the Parental Rights and Education Bill, which reinforces a parent's fundamental right to make decisions in raising their children. This bill prohibits then specifically classroom instruction on sexual orientation gender identity in grades kindergarten through third grade. And for someone who has five children, 11 and under, someone who has three children within specifically this age of kindergarten through third grade, this matters. Now this bill that was so common sense of yesteryear has brought polarizing reactions in our country, some pro, most against, specifically Disney. In fact, I was struck this week by a comment by Kerry Burke, the president of Disney Entertainment, who said in reaction to this bill's passing that it is now her goal as CEO of Disney to make sure that in the future, 50% of all future characters in Disney films identify with LGBTQ. Within the last year, Disney has proactively, in both Disneyland and Disney World, been removing all masculine and feminine pronouns in their signage on their campuses. We truly have now a crux. We truly have begun to come to the realization that this authority of the Bible, that this authority of Christ, that this sufficiency of Christ is now in our own homeland. And that is why with all urgency, we must articulate the gospel. We must never before be more compassionate about the gospel. That we must stand on the truth that God's word says, and he created them, male and female. That God's word says that we were created in his image. That we were not an afterthought. That we were not some random molecule. But rather, we have a divine creator. And thus, all identity, all meaning and value, all true essence and worth comes from him. Not from anything else on this earth. God knew in light of those things that it was impossible for us to work our way to him, so he came to us through his son, Jesus Christ. It is a result of the work of Christ in which we stand. The dividing line has always been the cross. And unfortunately for us, the battle has never been more at stake. It is within this premise that now we give our hearts to the book of Galatians, Because as Jasmine from Aladdin said it well, we are entering into a whole new world. Paul in his autobiographical summary comprises here 20% of Galatians. He begins in Galatians 1.10, he goes all the way through Galatians 2.14. 
Paul reminds his listeners there, these Christ followers in southern Galatia, that this gospel message did not come from his imagination. He didn't make it up. It was impossible for this message to come from man. The gospel had to come from God. Thus, this gospel also didn't come from these independent teachings of men or even an isolated mystical experience. The only revelation that Paul received was the revelation of his encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. It's not some words of men, but the words of Christ that gave this gospel to Paul, and now he's giving it to us. And as an overflow of this relationship and encounter with Christ, Paul begins to defend his apostleship. He begins to defend his authority as a teacher, as an apostle chosen by Christ. And in verses 10 through 24, he gives us here two sections. One, he begins to break down his personal defense of his teaching in verses 10 through 12. Paul then gives how he received the gospel of Christ in three phases of his life. His pre-conversion, beginning in verse 13, his conversion, and then his post-conversion all the way through verse 24. And so what I want to do is I'm going to take these verses and then apply them to this specific season that God has given us in greater still. And the one thing before we walk out here and stuff ourselves with tacos and funnel cakes and whatever else they have out there, may we, as Paul says in verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. May those who knew us and now those who know us in Christ Be so humbly amazed at his work and grace in and through us that they glorify God because of what he is doing in and through us. What does that look like? Galatians 1 verse 10 in your Bible says this. For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? For if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel, what was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul begins the body of this letter with arguably one of the most important questions of your life. Am I pleasing man or pleasing God? Think about that for a minute. I mean, if you were to objectively look at your life, if you were to objectively look at your rhythms, your schedules, your resources, what you do for fun, what brings you up, what brings you down, what you talk about, what you focus on, is it pleasing man or is it pleasing God? Can I tell you that every frustration in life is a direct result of pleasing man, not God? Can I tell you that Paul is intentional here with this question because he's wanting us to focus on who matters most? He's wanting us to focus on if your life was truly pleasing to God and not men, what would it look like? And Paul gives us three specific ways in which he outlines this. He reminds us in verse 10 that we are to do what Christ says. This pleases the Lord, doing what Christ says. Secondly, we are to share what Christ has said in verse 12. We are then to tell what Christ has done in verses 13 and 16. And he gives us this framework in which how we are to live a life that pleases the Lord. 
You see, Paul was chosen, saved, and called, and appointed by God to please God. And in doing so, are you ready for this? He was displeasing certain men, specifically false teachers. Can I tell you it's always this way? I mean, if, if you are in complete alignment and accordance with everyone else around you, more than likely you are not living out the will of God for your life. There's always gonna be this tension. There's always gonna be this inner conflict within us. Is this about me pleasing others or is this about me pleasing the Lord? Now in God's goodness, he often aligns those things. But Paul wants to clarify because there were men within the church of Southern Galatia that were adamantly against him. You wanna know why? Because Paul was an apostle, a man of authority. He was a man that was speaking a gospel not of works, but of faith in Christ, his work. Paul was also a man anointed by God. And so there was a combination of all of these things that these Judaizers went right after. And so that's why they went after Paul's authority by spreading false rumors about him throughout these churches in the southern region of Galatia. They were saying things like Paul is a vacillating man, that he teaches one thing in one context, he teaches another thing in another context. When Paul's in front of Gentiles, he preaches one gospel. When Paul's in front of Jewish Christians, he preaches another gospel. He preaches a shallow gospel that is full of half-truths, less stringent to the demands of the law. And that is why Paul starts with this rhetorical question to bridge the gap for what he's gonna say through the rest of Galatians. And that's why he says at the end of verse 10, if I was trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul says my aim was not to please men, but to be like Jesus and to please God. In fact, did you realize that you can have an adequate summary of the person of Christ that he solely desired to please God as one of the defining marks of his divinity. There is no way that Christ was not God because the Bible is clear in all actions, he sought to please the Father. In fact, Jesus says himself in John chapter five, verse 30, I desire to do the one and the will who sent me. That's my desire. In fact, Paul, writing to a church of Rome, which had its own problems. Trust me, we'll get there in the years to come. Place a train wreck. But Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 3, are you ready for this? That Jesus never did one thing to please himself. That in the totality of his earthly life and ministry, not one thing, the Bible says, to please himself. Not one word. Not one conversation, not one thought, not one instance was ever about Christ. It was about pleasing God and serving God. And Paul uses the same word servant to have the same impact, douloi. Describes an individual who's under the complete control and sovereignty of his master. At the time of the writing of Galatians, there were 60 million slaves in this region. They would have known exactly what he was talking about. Slaves had no rights, they had no property, they owned nothing. They were the sole property, even of themselves, of their masters. Anything their masters said, they did or they died. That's the image Paul uses. I was a servant of Christ, and in serving him, I live. 
Do you see this beautiful picture in imagery? Now, if I was serving Christ, how in the world could I ever please man? Could I ever do this for the affinity of man? And that is why Paul not only clarifies, I'm doing what Christ says in verse 10. Secondly, he's saying, I'm going to share what Christ has said. Look at verse 12. He said, but I received this message through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You see this word revelation here? Apocalois. To lay bare what was not previously there. To unveil what was previously hidden is Paul's point. Paul says, I didn't understand this. I was immersed in Judaism, the laws and the traditions of men. Though I'd memorized scriptures from my youth, I never saw that the coming Messiah was going to be a suffering Messiah, was going to be a dying Messiah. But then I met Christ and everything changed. And he revealed what was hidden to me. And I received this gospel law free. Not from a man, he says, but from the words of the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who supernaturally revealed himself to me, Paul says who had a direct, personal, divine revelation by the Spirit. You can read about this in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. It's one of the most stunning testimonies of a transformed life the world has ever seen. And Paul says, if I was truly pleasing man, specifically Jewish Christians, I would never preach this. I would never preach a crucified Messiah. Why? Because the imagery would be repulsive, intolerable for an orthodox Jewish scholar like Saul of Tarsus, the fact that a suffering Messiah would be a saving Messiah was ridiculous. The fact that Jesus, the Savior of the world, would die as a Jewish carpenter on a Roman cross? Absurd. Because it would not have only been a national political insult, but an incomprehensible absurdity. You see, Jewish leaders in Paul's day could not get over this fact that this Messiah who would come, this Messiah who would save, would die by being hung on a tree, cursed of God himself. And that was a stumbling block for them because they believed Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, which pronounces cursing on anyone who is hung on a tree. The interesting thing is, is that when we study Galatians 3, Paul will actually say in verse 13 that that's exactly the point of the gospel. That God himself rescues us through Christ, who became what he never was, a curse as a result of our sin, and thus took our place as a perfect substitute. So thus, what was true of him, holiness and righteousness as God, is now by faith true of us. Because God, by his grace, chose to place the full totality of our sin on his son. And as a result of him becoming a curse for us, the moment we place our faith in Christ, a divine transfer has occurred. That once could never be said of us. That once would never be thought of with us. No man ever thought about this. That's why this gospel has to come from God. Or once we were stuck, or once we were weighed down, or once there was no hope. Now, as a result of the work of Christ and the good news of Christ, 
We, the moment we place our faith in Christ, are free of the very thing that we thought brought life, but what in actuality enslaved. And thus now placing our faith in Christ, we begin to become more like Christ. As we follow Christ by his good news that still saves, that still frees. It is this truth that for the rest of the New Testament, Paul begins in didactic contrast to any Jewish scholar of the day, preach such a message. For instance, he says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Paul says, if I was truly pleasing man, I wouldn't do what Christ said. I wouldn't share this with anybody. Why? Because it's a stumbling block to the Jews. It's a repulsive, offensive scandal. It's a death trap is that word. It's also the same thing and even more, it's folly to the Gentiles. Why? Because the fact that Christ followers would claim that the savior of the world would die on a cross as thousands of other people before him is absolutely insane. But the Bible goes on to say that it is within the foolishness of God that he begins to shake down, crush down the wisdom of man. Because man cannot know God through wisdom alone. Man cannot know God through observation, rationalism, formalism, workism. No, God is inexorably fashioned that only faith can forgive, that only faith in Christ can bring life, that only faith in Christ can bring men to God, period. It's within this foolishness, Paul says, that I found I'm the greatest fool of all. So from one fool to another, may we clearly preach the gospel like never before. May we clearly point our lives and our ministries and our resources to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may we stand and run from this hill and share the good news that still saves. Can I tell you that a majority of this world is going to reject it? A majority of this world, though, by God's grace, has the potential to receive it. The majority of them will say, you know what, that's just the simplest or the dumbest or the most absurd thing that I have ever heard. And by God's grace, through our clarity and through our compassion and through our lives, may God bring the gospel to them. It is within this absurdity that Paul stands in front of so, quote, Christians, so, quote, religionists. And once again, defines and clarifies compassionately the gospel. This whole setting reminds me of a sign at Harvard that once says, God is dead, Nietzsche. Months later, someone else said, Nietzsche is dead, God. <laughs> Knowledge will go away. Plurality will go away. The divine sense of absolute truth will reign over subjective truth every time in any context, in any community. Will we be faithful enough to stand and to give our lives to what matters most? And may the greatest example of God's gospel not just be in the clear communication of his word by his grace to his son, 
but may it be lived out by his people. May we tell people we know this gospel can save because it saved me, me. We know this gospel frees because it freed me. We know this gospel could transform your life because it's transformed mine. And that is why Paul shifts now to telling what Christ has done. And he does it in three sections here. And due to all that we're celebrating today, we're gonna kind of fly through these. But Paul gives how the gospel has worked out in each phase of his life and relationship with Christ. Before he met Christ, his pre-conversion in verses 13 and 14. When he met Christ, his conversion in verses 15 and 16. And now his post-conversion. Now he's living out this gospel in verses 16 through 24. He says here, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism in verse 13. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people. For so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. One of the greatest understatements in all the New Testament. But, do you see this in verse 15? One of the most important words of the New Testament. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. For I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia. It's kind of like Western Oklahoma. Then I returned again to Damascus, not like Eastern Oklahoma. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem, not like Tulsa. Just kidding. And I went and visited Cephas or Peter. And I remained there with him 15 days. But I saw no other apostles except James, the half-brother of our Lord. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. And your Bible should have an exclamation point there. He's emphasizing this point. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to these churches of Judea that are in Christ. Listen to this. For they were only saying among themselves, he who used to persecute us is now what? Preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Paul, in verse 13, from his own lips, gives this firsthand testimony of his non-Christian past, his conduct as this unconverted legalist Jewish rabbi. Shockingly, he confesses that before Christ, that he was a terrorist, one who was in allegiance to the Jewish religion so much so that he even consented to the death of Stephen. That additionally, Paul as Saul, as a way of life, was intensely consumed with destroying Christ's church, not building Christ's church. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, and you can read about this in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, Acts chapter 22, verses 4 through 5, Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11, you'll find that the apostle Paul, when he was Saul, was going door to door, house to house looking for Christ's followers, imprisoning some, allowing others to be killed for their faith. For Christ, Jesus to Paul was an imposter. His gospel was a farce. But something had changed in this man. 
Someone had changed this man. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to even Saul of Tarsus. The Bible says in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, was on his way to Damascus to go seek some more Christ followers. Those who were rebelling against Judaism. And Christ met him face to face. Immediately, the glory of the Lord shone upon him. Right there, Christ, Paul accepted Christ. And his life was never the same. And you'll find instantly that Saul of Tarsus became Paul the apostle. And God would call him into the ministry to preach the gospel, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles. An unfathomable thought. He would be broken and humbled, this man of Judaism and nobility education and prominence, few rivals at the time. And God would then bless him and he would have an impact that the world has never been the same since. And it is within this brokenness and healing and blessing that Paul can now tell these Christ followers of his former past before Christ, of all that Christ had done to rescue him So much so as as if it never existed. Can I tell you this same gospel is available to you right now? Can I tell you this same assurance is available to you right now? So much so that that you could live a life that was so far the other way from God that you didn't even know that God knew who you were. And can I tell you that that's a lie from Satan himself? You see, the Bible presents a God who's not this uh, aloof character sitting up in the heavens just kind of waiting for us to wander to him, but rather is this omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, all-knowing king who is slow to anger and rich in love, who abounds not in wrath or condemnation to those who call upon him, but by grace and love. It's within those moments of those realities converging that you find that that God knew you before you were ever born. That God chose you. That God loves you. That God desires a relationship with you. So much so that you can come to him with all of you are as a result of all that he truly is. And it's within this freedom that Paul stands It's within this acknowledgement that Paul tells us that God allows and causes every phase of life. That God called me, that God broke me, and now God is blessing me with this gospel. So much so that I can tell you in verse 14 that I was living for what really didn't matter. That I was pursuing and advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my own people. I was so extremely zealous for these traditions of the Father. See this word advancing here? It's a forestry word in the New Testament. It describes someone who chops wood over and over and over again. You know someone like that? You know someone in your life that they don't care who you are. You're just in the way of their goals, in the way of their success. And they'll run with you, but if they have to, they're going to run over you. That's exactly Paul's point. Anything or anyone that stood around me, I chopped ahead to increase, is his point. I advanced beyond all others. And I'm here to tell you, I was giving my life to something that did not matter. 
that I was a Pharisee, one who legally gave himself to the law and the traditions of men by choice and conviction. And I was a rising star in Judaism, no equal. And yet it didn't matter. Maybe you're here this morning and you're giving your life to things that do not matter. Hear this testimony of the Apostle Paul. Give your life to Christ. Follow Christ. Give your life to doing what Christ says, to sharing what Christ has said, and to telling others what Christ has done. And live a life that pleases God and not men. Uh, I don't know about you, but oh, I find myself doing this a lot. <laughs> of being reminded by God's grace a, a lot, prioritizing what matters most. And so even yesterday, I was hanging out in Northwest Arkansas and watching some baseball. And my son's team, they turned a double play at the key point of the game. I mean, we needed a miracle. And so they had a hitter and he hit a shot that was headed to right field. And all of a sudden, the second baseman backhanded this ball and, and then seamlessly threw it to the shortstop. And, and though there was a runner on first about to take him out, the shortstop jumps over the runner and throws it to first base. Out. Double play. And this was such a miracle that all of the kids just went completely nuts, just like their parents and grandparents were doing, by the way. They almost dogpile right there on the field, and they're running and high-fiving and headed to the dugout, and all of a sudden the umpire says, wait, there's only two outs. <laughs> you gotta get three outs in this league. That was great. That was awesome. It didn't really matter. Are you living a life that matters? Are you giving your life to what matters most? Are you embracing this gospel? This gospel that says no matter what or where you were before Christ, that everything changes when you believe in Christ. Oh, give your life to this gospel. Oh, receive this gospel. Oh, give everything that God asks of you to take this gospel as we reach BA and beyond. As we see God do greater things still in ministry, in missions, and a future. And may we be, as the Apostle Paul says in verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. That Paul was saved by Christ, that he was commissioned by Christ, that he's speaking directly for Christ. And now he's glorifying God by sharing the gospel of Christ, by the spirit of Christ, to all who will hear and to receive. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe to hear other messages. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us online at fbcba.org. Thanks for listening to our podcast and always remember, you are loved.